This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, LS Pod fans, it's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parkin' or Austin, sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off could be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home, and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonalds.com hello and welcome to the Love strangers a swindon town fan podcast with me rich pullen proudly sponsored by the stfc official supporters club rogers is streaking ahead and he's onside beautiful play that is that what a shot very much for agreeing to be the latest guest on the podcast. Not a problem, glad to be here. I hope you and your family are all well during this lockdown. Yeah, yeah, we're all good, thanks. Something I've asked all your teammates during this time is, what are you watching on Netflix, Disney, Amazon, whatever? Uh, I've been um, re-watching films. I've been watching the, the, the Marvel films and the Star Wars films back over again because uh, they're, they're my favourite type of film, so... That's what I've been watching. Keshi Anderson did mention that he has quite in-depth Marvel conversations with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a, a lot of conversations about that, yeah. Something I've noticed during lockdown, because I've gone through the Star Wars films, is that they've they've put it in order as well, so you can watch like the spin-offs in the order that it's supposed to be. And it's I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. It's just always good to have it organised in the right way, isn't it? So. <laughs> they haven't done it for Marvel yet though my boss is a huge Marvel fan and he says the order that you would get in one place isn't really uh, the proper order or something like that I don't know I've, I've not seen any of the Marvel films how about that oh you need to watch them you need to watch them which that's ones for sure. which are the best um, oh, for me I'd go there the Captain America films but that's just because I'm biased and he's my favourite character but <laughs> pretty much all of them are, are good films in, in their own in their own unique way so I'd recommend all of them. Fantastic. Well, I've got 
work to do then if I'm going to catch up with them because there are bloody loads. <laughs> okay, yeah, there's about 20, 20 odd films, I think. 20 odd films. What have I been doing over the last 15 years? I watched so many films and yet Marvel has just slipped or it's just passed me by. Oh well, never mind. <laughs> okay, shall we talk football? Yeah, go on. Let's talk about football. So we start right at the very beginning. So when you were young, or younger than you are now, because you are very young still, uh, who was your favourite team growing up and who were your childhood heroes? My favourite team growing up, and uh, it's somewhat something I've probably kept quiet in my time <laughs> at Swindon, has obviously been Bristol City. Um, they're my, my local team. I ended up going to watch them as a kid um, and then ended up in their academy again. Uh, so they're my hometown team. They're the team I've always supported. The keepers I've always looked up to, the main one for me was Joe Hart because when I was uh, growing up through football, he was really in his prime and I used to just love the saves he used to make, the way he was. He presented himself in the goal and um, his, his mentality off the pitch as well, I think was just... Uh, I just think he's outstanding. He's an outstanding keeper and he's someone I really look up to and I still look up to now. So I'd go Joe Hart. Yeah, plenty to work with there. We'll start with the Bristol City stuff because I'm a bit surprised you didn't mention, I don't know, Steve Phillips or Adriano Basso or anyone like that. Yeah, the, the, Adriano Basso's up there. I've, even David James for me, I know uh, he wasn't at Bristol City for, for long. Tom Heaton as well. Mm. Um, they were all at Bristol City. They, they're keepers I look up to, but the main one for me was Joe Hart, just watching them on the TV. I went and watched a few England games where he played, and he, he's just always someone I've kind of drawn myself to and kind of idolised uh, idolized him. Read Joe Hart's career as a goalkeeper. A lot, I mean, a lot of people say that it just went flat for him for whatever reason. Is it because... You know, the notion that he peaked too soon? Is it because he just made the wrong transfers in his career? Or is it just one of those things? Uh, it's, it's a difficult one. I think, obviously, it probably started with maybe the mistakes he made on the big stage with England. And I think a lot of people kind of um, shot him down for that. And I think it's just been kind of a target ever since. But I don't think he can, He would look back on his career and have any regrets, to be honest. You, you look at his... Um, if you look at what he's won, he's won pretty much everything in the English football. So you can't doubt him. You can't say he's not a good keeper, a good professional, because he's he's pretty much won it all. He was at Man City when they obviously blew up and started winning the Premier League and f- competing at the top um, and in Europe. So I, th- I think it's just one of those things which is, is unfortunate he's been put in that situation. But that's another reason I look up to him, because he, he's I feel he's dealt with that in the best way possible. Um, he could have easily crumbled and then just fallen out of the game and fallen down the leagues. But he, he's still in the Premier League, albeit he's not number one. But you know he's probably got the right attitude to stick with it and fight for the number one spot. So, again, that's another re- reason why I admire him. Yeah, many would say at international level, England are, are struggling with the quality of the keeper at the world level. Is, would you say that's fair? I think I think that is fairly harsh because you look at the keepers we've got, I think Pickford's been shot down a fair bit recently where I don't think it's been justified because I think he's a top keeper. He proved himself in the world, the last World Cup. What, what year was that? Was that two years ago? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was two years ago. And he was probably one of our best players. He kept us in a lot of games. And I know Everton haven't been probably in the best of form the last season or two, but he's he's been a main part of that squad. And I feel like he's a good keeper. And you look at the keepers coming through, there's keepers my age, Dean Henderson, Aaron Ramsdale, who are playing in the Premier League at their age and absolutely flying. So 
I can't see us being in trouble in the future with English keepers. I do find generally with a good few members of that World Cup squad in goal and outfield that people get harsh on them despite everything they achieved. It seems that, and it, I think this is a long running thing with, with mm. the relationship with the England national team is that we love them for about four months and then we hate them for the rest of it, you know, every two yeah. years in those cycles, don't we? Yeah, I think it's just a, an impatience thing, really. I think it was such a young squad that went in 2018 that they set such a high standard. Like, every fan's obviously going to expect that's their level. That's what they should get every time. But, I mean, obviously, that, that's not realistic in football. Obviously, the best teams in the world strive for that, and I'm sure our national team do as well. But every national team will have bad games, will make mistakes. It's, it's, we're all humans at the end of the day. But I do, I, I'm fairly optimistic for the future with England football being, just being a spectator that... We'll, we'll achieve something and do well. Yeah. Let's go back to your younger years of playing football. What are your earliest memories of playing the game as a kid? My earliest memory was probably playing local football when I, I think I started when I was about five, four, five, six, kind of that age range. I played for my local team, Axbridge Saxons, back home. And uh, I started off wanting to be a striker, as everyone does. Glory Hunter wants the goals, all the fame. <laughs> and uh, I progressively worked my way back towards goalkeeper. And once I got throwing goal I stayed there ever since so that's probably the earliest memory I've got yeah I got as far as centre-back I started up front and then I think at some stage we all fancy ourselves as a bit of a goalkeeper especially if it's in like the park where you're where there's just the one goalkeeper playing we can all do those reflex saves but when you go into an actual game format as somebody who has played in goal a couple of times in 11 and 11 it's so much harder. It's so much yeah. harder. You can we can all do the glamour saves every now and again, make yeah. make mediocre people look good. But oh, it's those goals seem to get bigger. I always look every time I go to a football match. I always look at goals and think, how are there nil nil draws? Yeah, it's crazy, crazy. It is a big. You think about. It, I think the goals. It's about eight feet wide and about the same same height wise as well, or something like that. But yeah, it's 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 crazy. It's crazy, but. We train to defend that goal as best we can and we do as best job as we can. So When you run and you do your clap at the fans and you're sort of taking your towel and you're putting it, do you ever run towards the goal and just go, Christ? <laughs> to be fair, no, I can't say I've ever done that because I've been in goal for so long. You just get used to it. Like um, Obviously, I remember when I was transitioning from seven-a-side goals to 11-a-side, was, that was probably the first time I was like, Christ, like this is a big goal because I would have been a lot smaller than I am now as well. So that would have been a scary moment. But over time, the the years I've played in eleven side goal, obviously you get bigger and older, and um, you just get used to it. At the end of the day, when you're growing up, so at what point did you complete the transition from centre forward to goalkeeper? How old were you? Oh, I, I, I don't think it was long. I don't think it was a long <laughs> transition. Um, so I think I must have been about seven, six, seven. I must have been about that age. Okay, so. At this stage then, you could be a great goalkeeper, but then you're relying on nature to do its course and to hope that you're the height that mm. you need to be for a goalkeeper as well, don't you? Yeah, 100%. Obviously, you can't really be five foot seven, eight, and try and defend an 11-a-side goal. <laughs> um, obviously, there's that. they say that the average height for a keeper is about 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, like that's probably the perfect height they'd want. Um, but you see keepers that are 6'1", 6'2", um, as well. So... You, 
your stature and your build and your height is is massive part of being a goalkeeper as well. There's only one generation of Jorge Campos who was what five foot six, wasn't he? Mm, <laughs> when he yeah. played for Mexico in the nineties with those yeah. colourful kits, unbelievable. Okay, so. At what stage then did it become apparent that you had the ability to go into the professional academy system? I can't tell you when, but ever since I went in goal and started playing football, I straight away was like, I want to do this. I want to play professional football for a living. Like it was, it was a dream from the day I stepped foot on a on a seven aside pitch with all my mates. Like I've I've always wanted to be a footballer from for as long as I can remember, um, but. Probably the first time it was more of a reality and in my mind I was thinking I could actually do this was, I think I must have been about 10 or 11. I went on trial at Yeovil as a kid um, and I was like, obviously this is the first academy I'd ever gone to on trial, first like exposure to it all. And um, I, I, when I was there, I didn't feel out of place. I remember thinking like I'm actually on, I feel like I'm on the same par, if not better than these keepers. And that was probably the moment I did. Unfortunately, their academy folded at a, at a stage when I was on trial, so I didn't actually get to sign for them. But that was definitely a, a, a moment where I thought, yeah, I, I've actually got a chance here. What measures did you take in order to enhance your chances of making it in the game? Because nowadays there are so many goalkeeper schools that are specific to that position. Was there much more dedication? I mean, some of the guys I talked to were just like, nah, just played 11 aside and got picked up off I went and some people were like no I did so much extra work in order to get where I am when I was younger I must have started at about nine or ten I started this goalkeeper school called just for keepers Mm -hmm. and this was just started out off locally and it was once a week but I remember my mum telling me because she used to drive me here there and everywhere that I loved it so much she drove me to another one in Taunton which is a bit further on from where I live to do it twice a week and from there the, the coach that did it had links with academy scouts and all that, and he used to get them to come watch the, the goalkeeper training schools. So that's why I got picked up. I did get picked up a couple of times whilst playing 11 aside when I was younger. Yeah, I was always eager to just play football because I enjoyed it so much. I wanted to do more as much as I could. If I could play football every day, I wanted to. So I was doing those schools. I was even going down the local pitch with my mates, just them smashing footballs at me and me chucking myself about like an idiot but um, I, I just always wanted to play football and I think because I've done it so much it just I just naturally got better yeah and apart from Bristol City obviously and Yeovil were there any other trials at that stage no it was just just those two so let's talk about them then so Bristol City is a funny one for me because I'm from West Wiltshire so Bristol City as a Swindon fan is the biggest rivalry it's not factually you know it's just within my personal yeah. world Oxford is obviously our biggest rival um but because growing up in west wiltshire there's so many more bristol city and bristol rovers fans than there are oxford fans there was only one person that i went to school with that supported oxford and really they were a tottenham fan depending on what mood they were in so yeah that that was the rivalry and now i'm married into a bristol city supporting family so my wife supports bristol city and my in-laws are city fans etc etc so you're in a safe place here what (laughs) age did you did you join bristol city originally went on trial I think when I was about 11 12 I remember doing a six-week period and then getting told I wasn't going to sign for them then I did a season with uh, North Somerset County Schools I think was it County Schools or just North Somerset County team where I played on a Saturday 
and then Bristol City's community team on a Sunday. So I used to play two games a week. And I only done that for probably another six, seven, eight months. And then they asked me to go back on trial again and then did another six weeks. And it was a successful one. And I signed when I was probably 13, yeah. 13, 14, I reckon. And I was there all the way up till I was a first year scholar. And then I left on my first year scholar. Yeah. So what does that mean? Because when I'm 13, I'm the world's biggest Swindon fan. You know, they can do no wrong. So to join them at that age and to have been playing for their community team must have been absolutely huge for you. Yeah, it was It was massive. It was kind of surreal because we used to, when we were younger as well in the academy, we used to be ball boys for the match day Yeah. Um, as well. So like I'm... I'm able to do that as well as playing for the academy in the, uh, the younger age group. So it's it's a surreal feeling, I remember, yeah. <laughs> I find Bristol City fans quite intense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that, that's not unfair, I don't think. As, as somebody who lives in Bristol and yeah. works with Bristol City fans and, a, and a, a sprinkling of Bristol Rovers fans as well, you can tell the difference between a Bristol City fan and a Bristol Rovers fan living in the city. They are of com- t- two complete different mentalities because I think there is that sort of little man syndrome for Bristol Rovers because they're the second club in the city and they are, you know, th- there's nothing to be ashamed of. And then the Bristol City fans, especially, I mean, I've lived in BS3 and I live in BS4 now. Yeah. They're quite rowdy. Yeah, I can agree with you on that because half my mates are uh, Bristol <laughs> City fans. <laughs> Going down the Free Lions or something like that, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. My goodness me, my goodness me. That tells me more than uh, I need to know on that front. So <laughs> you're, you're climbing up the leagues. Something that really interests me, climbing through the age groups, and something that really interests me about goalkeepers is the fact that, you know, if I'm a right midfielder, I've got a yeah. chance of playing right back or centre mid or up front if, if I'm needed. You know, goalkeepers, you are very much set where you are. Um, so you have to compete with other guys for that one spot your whole career no not just in the youth team all the way through do you have to get used to the fact that you might not be number one quite early on or do they do they rotate the goalkeepers at that young age going through the academy we used to rotate around i remember there was me and another lad when i first signed for city and um, I think it was a case sometimes we'd both do like half a game each or like one week I'll play, the next week he plays kind of thing. Um, but then getting older and older, well, I remember after that season, I was the only keeper my age. So I was playing every week um, up till I was about a first year scholar. Um, but I think if you can get that mentality of knowing you're not going to play every week and you've got to earn your spot, I think that will put you in good stead as in the in the future as a goalkeeper because that's that's the modern game that's the the men's game now is having to be patient make sure you work hard keep keep a good attitude and prepare for your chance when it comes yeah i've i've said it on this pod before quite recently actually and uh, one of the things that i used to do when i lived in bedminster was after work this is before i become a dad after work i might go and watch the reserves play or the mm, under 18s yeah. at ashton gate and i remember you were on the bench there, I think it was Joe Woolacott. That... Oh, was that the the Liverpool game? Um, I was at that, that game. Yeah, I think that's when we played Liverpool at Ashton Gate, yeah. Yeah, and I think you, yeah. you, you might have been on the bench for a couple of development games as well. Definitely yes, one with, was, yeah. with Joe Woolacott in there. Maybe Crystal Palace, I don't know. Um, yeah, it was Palace. Yeah, there we go. That's why I would have mentioned it to Keshi, because he would later play in that same development team. But 
this is this is a point in your football career which is so crucial and Joe Woolacott's still there you know he was at Forest Green Rovers this season wasn't he and he he, he played against Swindon um, in the first game and how frustrating is it or how motivating is it if we're going to put it on the other side to try and fight for that place to try and earn the recognition and try and get some minutes I'd be lying if I said I've never got frustrated because it is it is frustrating. But I agree with more on the motivation side. Like for me, it pushes me more to try and fight for the sport and play because I love the sport so much and I enjoy it so much. I want to be playing every week. I want to be number one. That's just my drive and determination with it. But again, it goes back to me saying if you can get in your head that mentality of not being number one and knowing you're not going to be unless you fight and earn your place and having to compete against other keepers it will, it will put you in good stead for the future 100% yeah and when you were at Bristol City you listed all of those experienced goalkeepers that were at the club when you were there do you have much access to the the senior pros when you're a youth player I remember when we used to do our like specific goalkeeper training we did a they had a couple times where the first team keepers at the time uh, I think it was Tom Heaton and Dean Gherkin uh, actually, after training, came in and did a Q and A with us. So we we got to like pick their brains from time to time after training as a as a youngster. But I remember when I was fourteen, fifteen, I trained with the first team for the first time um, when I was that when I was that age. So that was a surreal moment. Um, but I remember even when I was a first year scholar, I think I was I was fifteen, sixteen, and I was trained with the first team on a regular basis with the first team keepers and that. So there was there was definitely a good pathway from academy to first team at that time um and again that, that that's another part of my career where i look at as if i hadn't done that i might not be where i am today like that to get that exposure at such a young age i think is was massive for me yeah and the same applies really to the senior coaching because you know when you're there people like nigel spink is the mm. goalkeeper coach and then david coles and there might be yeah. one or two in between do you get much access to them or do you have your own specialized academy coach so yeah when I was so when I was doing part-time so when I was still in school but training on the evenings I'd have I think what what phase is that I want to say that's foundation phase or the development phase I can't remember what it's called but you'd have your own specific goalie coach for that where you do like an hour or two a week and then when I went to first year scholar I had an under 18s coach goalie coach that I would work with every day um, but then the days I went with the first team was when I would work with Dave Coles at the time um, and do sessions with him. So I was, I've had a lot of goalkeeper coaches that I've worked with that have all been experienced and all brought the best out of me. Yeah, and who were those greatest influences while you were developing coaching-wise? Well, when I was younger at City, it was Ryan McInnes, who was previously Newport County's first-team goalie coach. Then when I went to uh, Scholar, it was Ali Hines, who was probably the main reason I am the goalkeeper I am today like he he did a lot for me when I was there and obviously Dave Coles in the first team at the time yeah so you're a first year scholar it's going all yep. right you've been at City for years what happens next well it's a funny old story because when I finished my under 16 season I didn't actually get offered a scholar I got offered an extended schoolboy contract so it was just for the year yeah um and it was it was a, a weird situation to say the least because I'd done the season had a really good season um, I was playing every week I was training with the first team and uh, the, the first team coaches liked me even the keepers did my under 18s goalie coach and the, the team's manager was pushing for me to get a scholar 
But the ultimate decision came down to the head of recruitment, who was the only one that said, no, we don't want him. So because of that, he had the, the, the whole say in it. So I got released at the end of that year. I mean, that sounds awful, to be fair. I mean, that that sounds like you've got everybody who works with you all the way through saying, yeah, keep this guy on. And then some guy who's just like, I guess, is he see, is he at least watching you or does he just... Is he just doing the the maths and things? He's, he he did watch like he would watch every game every week. He he was quite a big figure around the academy, and he was the link from there to the first team. Um, so yeah, he was he was around a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So not much you can do. No, I did everything I could that season. I, I remember I've improved. That was the first year I was in every day training uh, full time. Did everything I could have done. Impressed the right people, but it was just one person's opinion at the end of the day one person's and that's football in a nutshell really isn't it exactly exactly okay so I mean at this stage who's helping you sort of make the transition from Bristol City year one scholar to I gotta find new club ASAP how did that work for you a bit of luck but um when you get released the club that you're at has to like sends out a sheet of to other teams of who they've released and what position and that that um stuff um, and it was just a case of knowing the right people at the right time. I had a, a friend of mine called John Hale, who was a scout at the time, and he started throwing my name out there. And um, that's when I went on trial at Newport because that's when Ryan McInnes, who I was with, who was when I was younger, was my coach, was at Newport. I went and trained there, and I think I was only there for a couple of days, maybe a week. And they said straight away, I think I played one game for him as well, um, and they said straight away, we want to sign you. Um, I, that was when they said that I'd obviously been offered a trial at Swindon so I thought I'd hold fire for a bit and I'd train at Swindon just to see obviously just to compare and see where, what I feel is best for me um, and that's when I trained with Swindon that year it was over the Easter the Easter holidays and I was lucky as well that Swindon were in the playoffs that year so their season was longer so I could train more with them if that makes sense yeah. and I think I was there for about two weeks didn't play a game I just trained because I knew, obviously, Steve Howe was the goalie coach at the time, and they were looking for a first-year scholar. Obviously, I, in effect, was an age of a second year, but they could have taken me on as a first-year, just a year older. And I was there for two weeks. I think I'd done four or five training sessions, and they said, yeah, we want to sign you. And I thought I had two good offers, and it was just kind of a gut feeling. I think I wanted to go with Swindon. So I ended up signing a two-year scholar with Swindon. Do you ever think about that those crossroads and what would have happened whether you went to a whether you had gone to a Newport? I I personally think I made the right decision because not long after I signed for Swindon, I think at the end of that season, uh, Ryan McInnes left Newport, so I would have been going into a club with a goalie coach that technically didn't sign me. So whereas Swindon, obviously Steve was still there for that whole season, and again, if I hadn't. If I'd gone to Newport, would I have got the same chances I did at Swindon? I'm not sure. Would I have got more? Again, I'm not sure. But again, it's, it's something I'm not dwelling on. Like, this is the path I've chosen. And that's, that's all I'm concentrating on. Kelly is only a couple of yards away. But Digby manages to push it one-handed onto the bar. You're listening to the Low Strangers podcast. Proudly sponsored by the STFC Official Supporters Club. Swindon Town, you know, we don't like to say it out loud, but the facilities at Swindon compared to Bristol City are a little bit different, aren't they? 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so how how was it for you to adjust to, you know, I mean, it's not like a it's not like Sunday league at Swindon, don't get me wrong, but Bristol City yeah. have do do have quite the setup. So does that make much of an impact to you early on or is it just there's a post, there's a crossbar, sh- you know, fire some balls, yeah. do some crosses, there's still our thing. Yeah, for me, it didn't really affect me. It's just the same principle at each club, really. Um, facilities, if they're decent facilities or not. Um, the main thing for me was just adapting to a new club, new new coaches, new players, and getting trying to get in in with the team straight away. Which for a scholo and the youth team, I did pretty pretty easily. And as well, that was the first time I moved away from home, so obviously I had to live in Diggs and Swindon, so I had to adapt to that as well, which I felt I did pretty easily. So yeah, I don't think it really affected me that much. It was just getting kind of settled in and fitting in with the the rest of the lads. Yeah, Swindon's not that bad. No, no, it's good. It's a good club. <laughs> I was talking about the town. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the town. Yeah, the town's not bad. The town's good. <laughs> okay, so who who's your goalkeeping competition in in the youth team at this stage? Um, so it was me and the other keeper was Connor Johns, who we're both the same age, but. He was in his second year, and I was technically in my first year scholar, even though I was the same age as him. Yeah, yeah. Connor made it onto the bench a couple of times, didn't he? When yeah. he was when he was a uh, when he was at Swindon. Okay, so I've asked this question quite a few times to people that have had to go into the youth system late on. You said it was easy. Does that include trying to sort of get involved and integrate with the with the individuals because of course some of these guys would have known each other since they were five six seven eight you know was that easy as well yeah well I, I wouldn't say it was easy it's obviously going to be a challenge but I didn't I don't really find it hard to to fit in and get on with people I, I think I'm pretty pretty easy to talk to and get on with people so and obviously because you're thrown in straight away you've got to start playing with these guys you're going to get to know them quickly and build some sort of relationship so I don't think it was that much of a challenge now do you get any sort of human nature-esque resistance because Connor would have been popular for example did do you get people like look at you going you've taken my buddy's place in the team does that happen uh well it, it happened towards the end of that season at the start obviously Connor was playing I wasn't playing so I had to deal with that it was frustrating at times but because obviously I'd gone through that process at Bristol City before and I had to start again, yeah. which was frustrating, but I just got on with it. Because at that stage he was playing, I hadn't technically taken his, play, uh, his place. But then as the season progressed, I, I kept working hard every day. I was doing extras in the gym and it all got noted. And then when it came to the choice of the manager, I think it was Luke Williams at the time, had to make a decision on which scholar to put on the bench. He chose me over Connor. And I think that then, there were people that were probably more closer to Connor than me that were like, oh, he's, he's taken taking Connor's place like mm. there is that kind of rivalry there yeah yeah that is as we've already said it that's football isn't it okay. yeah so yeah. that first season goes ridiculously well for you mm. out of circumstance by the sounds of it more than anything because you know you're out on loan at the start or for a segment of that season and yeah. then there's an injury crisis isn't there and yeah. suddenly you're playing in the EFL and at what point did you think hang on I could end up playing here. Uh, well, it's it's a crazy story. I didn't think I, I wasn't in my mind, my thought process, thinking, "Oh, I'm just on the bench. I'm not going to play." There was part of me that was thinking when I got put on the bench for the first time because I think it was Ty that Ty Belford that was injured for that week, 
um, I was thinking, right, I'm on the bench. I prepared like I was playing. So in my mind, I was thinking, right, I've got to prepare like I'm playing because if something happens to Viggs at the time, I'm coming on, I've got to play. Regardless of my age, regardless of my experience, I'm coming on and playing. So my mindset every time I was on the bench was preparing like I was playing. I'd do everything right. I'd eat right. I would try and get as much sleep as I could. I would prepare myself properly in the warm-up and do everything. So I wasn't thinking, I'm on the bench, yeah, I've made it. I don't have to try now. I was always thinking, right, I've got to be ready. And you did have to be ready. So, I mean, yeah. Vig, Viggs gets injured. Jake Keane comes in for a week on the old, uh, please, can we have a goalkeeper outside the window rule? Um, yeah. But Viggs still isn't fit for the Rochdale game. And then mm. in comes Will Henry. Now, did you have plenty of time to prep for that? Well, that, that week was a bit of a roller coaster, to be fair, because I think at the, oh, it's probably the Monday or the Tuesday. I think it was the Tuesday, actually, uh, where I think that's when Jake came in and said, oh, obviously I'm off, I'm injured now, I can't play. So he went back to Norwich. I think that's where he was on loan from. Uh, and we had a reserve game on that Tuesday, which I played in at the county ground. Um, which I played really well in and then with all the first team staff watching so that that was a big help that game I think because that probably reinforced them to think right we'll probably play on Saturday because as well we didn't have anything to play for we weren't fighting for promotion we were safe enough from relegation but then it got to the Wednesday and I think they said they were going to try and get another keeper in so I was like oh right so obviously I was a bit bit gutted because I was thinking oh my chance was coming Saturday and then it gets to Thursday and then Steve comes to me again and says oh no you're playing now <laughs> so it was up and down whether I was going to play or not whether they're going to get another keeper in and then it got to Friday and it was like yep yeah, you're playing like it was definite that I was going to play Saturday if you look at it I didn't have much time to prepare but also I did because I was on the bench for so long and my mindset was I'm on the bench I've got to be ready to play because anything can happen and I have to come on and I think because of that, I had probably about a month and a half to actually get ready for that one game. Maybe it's because I'm a bit of a pessimist, but I'd be on the bus up to Rochdale thinking to myself, someone's going to get on the bus at the motorway services and they're going to be playing or something. Something's going to happen. The game's going to be called off. That would just be running through my mind the whole way. Yeah, to be fair, I think when I was on the coach, because I had my youth team coach ring me up saying, like, you deserve it. I had all the right people ring me up. I had... Steve the night before sent me a book's worth of message saying like everything positive and like just be nervous because it will make you focused but relaxed at the same time and make sure you like you're good enough you've prepared well enough and you deserve your chance and all all the players as well was like really supportive of me and I think in my mind of course I was nervous because I was thinking right I've got to play in the first team at 17 against League One Rochdale away as well like it's not a home game but I was just like there's no pressure on me at all. I kept telling myself that, that there's no there's no pressure. No one expects you to to do well. Like in my head, I was saying that because it was taking a lot of pressure off. So I was nervous, but I was confident as well because I knew I deserved the chance. Firstly, I cannot believe it's over four years ago since this game. I don't oh, know where the Crazy. time has gone. Thirtieth of April, twenty sixteen, Rochdale away. What do you remember of it? I remember. All of it, to be fair. I remember every save, every moment, every part of the build-up. I remember the change room at half-time, after the game. And I remember getting on the coach. And it's about a three-hour journey back home. And it felt like an hour because my phone had just blown up. Like Everyone was messaging me. I had all sorts of notifications on social media. It was, it was, it was crazy. And it was a very, very surreal day. And I'm completely grateful for the chance I got given that day. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a 
not bittersweet. I've said that a lot recently in this in this uh, podcast. I'm going to have to think of new words to say, but it's it finishes two two. Uh, Swindon take an early lead, John O'Beaker, and then I think it's at one nil. Rochdale get a penalty, and yeah. their penalty taker is Ian Henderson, who is really really good at taking penalties in my mind. You know that guy has you know he scored high pressure penalties in yeah. games, and here you are still YTS. I don't think that's the term anymore, but still a youth team goalkeeper, and you're up against this this experienced football league player. Did you know where he was going or are you, are you sort of just, is it you've given him the eyes or whatever, because you guess right, you save it, goes around the post and then suddenly the greatest moment for you. Was it a guesswork? I was 90% sure he was going that way. And that's purely because the, the night before Steve Hale, the goalie coach at the time, he sent me, uh, an email with pretty much every penalty he's taken and the stats of where he's, what side he's gone and how many times he's gone that side. And predominantly, he goes to the keeper's left a lot. So in my head, I thought, penalty straight away. I saw he was taking it. I think, in my head, I don't care. I'm going to my left. If it goes in, no one's going to question me. If I save it, I'm a hero kind of thing. So I just thought, in my head, he's going to my left. He op- I think he opened his body up. He went to my left and the rest is history. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, well, quite. Yeah. And it's something that I think a lot of people know more about this now than they used to. But the sheer amount of like work that goalkeeper coaches and goalkeepers do um, to give themselves some kind of edge and some kind of advantage, more so now because of media and technology, we have the ability to watch goalkeepers and watch penalty takers, see what they do. And... And but it's it's continuous research, isn't it? Yeah, I mean Steve at the time he was completely thorough on his research. I remember he would send the email the night before for me to look through, and he also obviously like printed out the penalty details and wrapped it on the water bottle we had. So he had that as well. So he was very much into his detail with uh, with penalties and and everything else related to goalkeeping. Yeah, yeah. And what was what was the changing room like at half time? You say you remember that. I remember sitting down and a lot of the lads just like patting me on the back and saying like, well done, like that's brilliant, you can't do much more kind of thing. And it was, I remember they were just all buzzing really. But again, to the point where we've still got a second half to play, like we're still playing a game of football here. So, um, but the, I remember the atmosphere was just a very positive um, half the time. Yeah, and it, it doesn't go our way in the sense that they do get their equaliser, but hmm. you know, Swindon do go down to like nine men in this game because Ormond Otterwill and Louis Thompson get sent off. You as yeah. a teenage goalkeeper, do you have the right to go? Thanks. Uh, no, because <laughs> that, that's, that's football, isn't it? So I could play a game of football and people get sent off. That, that just happens as part of the game. Um, but for me, I was still trying to soak it all in because it's the first game I ever played in professional football. It's, it's, yeah, I, I don't think any of that crossed my mind really now. Well, the home fans liked you during the game, do you remember? Yeah, I remember um, after the penalty save, they were just chanting my name, and I, I think I had the biggest grin on my face. <laughs> <laughs> what about the home fans? Do you get much stick? Um, no, nah, to be fair, I think they were all right with me. I think it's maybe second half after they scored, I think I was getting a bit of stick, but other than that, I can't remember much, um, much stick coming my way, so... 
Yeah, and then and then Grant Holt even comes on during that game as well. So when yeah. sort of like you're just going right, you know what? Twenty minutes to go. I've done it. Yeah, I'm good. And then it's like they bring on somebody who's played at the highest level. You must be thinking, okay, another Rob score. I'll take this on. Yeah, exactly that. I just I remember seeing him come on and be like, Christ, he's playing the prem, and thinking I'm sharing a pitch with a player that's playing the prem. It was it's very very surreal. But again, when you're on the pitch in the moment. For me, it was pure concentration on just getting to 90 minutes, either salvaging a point or doing what I can for the team and just doing my job. So I think after the game was more thinking, wow, that that actually happened kind of thing. Yeah, and, and possibly the greatest reward that you get from that performance is the fact that you don't give Luke Williams the dilemma of having to bring somebody else in for the final game of the season. He's comfortable yeah. with you starting. And that game against Shrewsbury, is it Shrewsbury yeah. or Shrewsbury? It's one of the two. It's one of the two. <laughs> that game against Shrewsbury is one of the, yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of like a warm and fuzzy sort of game, this one, because it's a lovely day. Um, no, no one's doing anything. Swindon are mid table. Shrewsbury, I think. I think, I think they were about safe. safe. Yeah, they're just yeah. about safe. Well, they, they didn't play like they needed to win it. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's a great day for the youth team, really, because, of course, you play and then Jordan Young comes on and scores and Jake Evans comes on. Scott yeah. Twine's on the bench. Josh Cook's on the bench. Lee Marshall's on the bench. So there's this real sort of feeling of confidence. Yeah, it's the last game of the season and it happens quite often when young players get a couple of minutes. But I remember when Jordan scores because well, you leg it, don't you? Oh, I didn't even... I don't think I had a second of thought. I just literally, as soon as I went in, I just sprinted up the pitch because... I was, just, I was just, I was just milking it to be honest. I was just enjoying the day, enjoying the week that I've had. So, for might as well, might as well add to it. Yeah, absolutely, a clean sheet and you set on your full home debut. Nothing yeah. um, wrong with that. And I mean, the Jordan Young moment was wonderful because he was homegrown, turned down yeah. Chelsea, and it's one of the biggest shames of the last few years that it just didn't work out for him at Swindon but hmm. he's at Coventry now and you know hopefully he'll kick on yeah definitely he's a good enough player and a good enough lad as well so I'm sure I'm sure he'll be successful at Coventry nicely done by Smith Toffolo again Williams is in there and the inevitable result well he's too good to be true at the end of that season, what is Luke Williams telling you? Is he saying, go away, I'm for the summer, you're gonna be my my second choice, you're gonna you're gonna back up Viggs, or is is it very much of you don't you're gonna to have to go back into the development side? What what was the what was the goals at this point? Well, I remember Steve after that game, Steve Howell, the goalie coach, basically said to the club, look, you need to give him a pro pro contract because of what he's done otherwise another club could snatch me up for a cheaper price if that makes sense mm -hmm. so I got offered a two 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 year contract with a year's option which obviously I signed um, and I think there wasn't really any talk of what I was going to do in the summer but I kind of had an idea that I probably would be number two because I know what the situation at the club was at the time they liked to have just two keepers in the first team and I knew that there was plans for Viggs to re-sign so um, I kind of had in my head that I was going to be number two yeah yeah, so so that's that's you know a real boost for you as well. I think it makes sense from all 
angles that they offer you a deal at that stage because I, I do think maybe less so now but back in the day if anybody under 19 played a game in the EFL they're just taken by a Premier League academy straight away they may never play for them but yeah. they just get lifted up because well if he's good enough for the EFL he can come in slide into our development side and of mm. course it, it's good for you and if you sign it we can get money for you if if, if it needs yeah. to be as well I mean so that's, it works both ways it works both ways exactly right so let's talk about Luke Williams for a moment as as manager hugely popular on the basis of everyone that I've talked to on this yeah. but obviously it was a bit of a car crash that that final season sadly that he had with us what were your opinions of, of Luke I got on with Luke really well I mean he's the one who gave him my chance at the end of the day he, he didn't really hesitate on saying I'll just play well like he's, he deserved it and and even throughout the second season he, he proved that as well um like obviously I got the chances in the cup games I even he even trusted me when Viggs wasn't available in the league to play me, even though I was still 18. And he, he was fully supportive of me. And even when I played against Sheffield United, and obviously made that mistake. I remember literally the week after that, he was arm around my shoulder, uh, arm around me, just like fully supportive of me. And I, I can't thank him enough for that, really. I did get a question from Simon Maslin. It's a general football question, but he's always wondered, how do you organise getting an agent? And do they come to you or do you have to find one? Is there a version of Checker Trade which highlights if they're good or bad, um, etc.? Um, well, from my experience, it wasn't me looking for an agent. It was actually after I made my debut against Rochdale, uh, Youngie in training the week after had his agent chat to him saying, oh, can you get us in touch with Will or get us in touch with his mum or anything like that? So um, that at the time was how I signed my agent then. Um, and I remember having them interested and also another agency that was getting in contact who was interested as well. Um, and I think that the second one was through Steve Hale. Um, and they both both had meetings with them, both met up with them a couple of times. Um, but I ultimately went with the one that uh, Youngie was with at the time. Um, and I was with them for, well, just up till the November just gone because then I changed to the agent that actually was with, that Steve Hale recommended me. So um, I've chopped and changed recently. But um, for me, it was more them coming to me than me going to them, if that makes sense. Yes, absolutely does. So back into the football side of things. Mm. How, it, it was never a secret that Viggs was going to be the number one choice. Is there any sort of wriggle room from them to say, if you keep your head down in training and keep and keep doing your thing, you could replace him, or are you very much in the motion that, you know, injuries or a classic Lawrence Vigaroo tantrum aside, <laughs> <laughs> I might um, be in a chance here. Yeah, I think, well, the way that season went, I think you'd go with the latter, what you just said. <laughs> but um, no, I, I wasn't, I think, again, my standard is just, to keep my head down and work hard and wait for the chance and get it and, and take it. Um, I was never told like set in stone. Oh, like if you get your head down, oh yeah, you can overtake Viggs because that's not football. You, you, you're not guaranteed that. But for me, it's, it's waiting for an injury or, or for Viggs to do something for me to get a chance to play and try and keep the shirt. Obviously that season, it was difficult because I know there was a lot of hype around Viggs and obviously Viggs had a really good season that year, um, which was good to kind of be second choice to him because I learned a lot off him uh, from his mistakes and from what he'd done on the pitch, so it was it was a massive learning curve for me that season. 
but there, there was nothing ever set in stone because that's that's not football. Then nothing ever is. Absolutely not. And you know, Viggs has been on this podcast, and he was brilliant when he came on just after he he left himself. And yeah, and you know, he was apologetic for bits and pieces. Um, he is his own person. You know, he has his reasons, etc. But like you said, you learned a lot from him. I mean, what was it like working with Viggs? To be fair, we at the time it was me, Viggs, and uh, Dean Thornton, our goalie coach, and we had a great relationship as us three. Like, I got on with Viggs really well. Um, obviously, there's times where me and Dino probably say the same way we got frustrated with him, but I'm not trying to dig him out or anything. No, not at all. But he, he, is, a, he is a top bloke, to be fair. He's easy to get on with. He, he was really the gel of that team that year, and even the season after when Flickforth was in charge. Um, he, he really is quite an infectious personality and he he, he, is a, he is a top bloke deep down his heart is in the right place he's just obviously made mistakes like we all do we're all human and I think he, he is learning from him um, obviously he's back at Leighton Orient now and I think he was started on the bench he's obviously earned the shirt and got it back and he was playing albeit cut short because of the, the uh, pandemic but I'm sure he's, he's probably at a, a right place in his career yeah, he wears his heart on his sleeve and any walk of life you meet people like that and they make decisions based on what they feel is right and sometimes yeah. <laughs> sometimes it's right and sometimes it's wrong. It's, it's as simple as that, isn't it? Okay, yeah. so, I mean, you get more minutes during that season. You play what, most, something like seven times, don't you? And there yeah, are something few, like that. There are a few highlights on in here, notably your ability to save a penalty, which <laughs> is absolutely delicious. I've always... <laughs> It's always been quite interesting to me because obviously we're absolutely garbage against Oxford United. There can be no denying that. I'm not going to try and yeah. sugarcoat how bad we've been. <laughs> but you are the hero of that one game. The game that their fans still claim as a part of their run. Um, but, you know, it's a draw, but we win on penalties. No yeah. thank, you know, and it's all thanks to yourself because, you know, they miss three penalties but crucially you save them all from Liam Serkham, Wes Thomas and Josh Ruffles I mean yeah it's just a shame that that competition was in the boycott zone at that point because mm. only you know just under 3,000 fans saw it it was it was a great moment I mean I followed it from afar but it, it was still good yeah yeah that's that's another another high of my career, 100%. Because um, I remember it was nil-nil at final whistle, but I still had a fair bit to do that game. I think I had a lot to do with my feet and a lot of saves to make uh, to keep us in the game. And then it ultimately went straight to penalties and what happened, happened. So it's, that was a, a, a massive moment for me and another moment I enjoyed. What happened, happened. Listen to you. It's just, just very nonchalant. It, it, it's, yeah, it was, it was nice to get past them. But yeah, I mean, I just get this feeling that Oxford United fans and team over the years before you and probably for a little while after, depending on Richie Wellens, how he approaches it, they just seem more up for it, especially that year. Yeah, yeah. I remember the, um, the, the home game yeah. that season in the league, yeah. and that was mental. I have to say because that was probably the first game, well, that's the first proper Swindon Oxford derby I was actually involved in. So to experience that, albeit I was on the bench, but it was mental. The, the atmosphere that day was crazy. Um, I can't remember what the result was. I don't think two one loss. Yeah, two one. Two one loss. Yeah, but 
that was a crazy day. Yeah. Yeah, we we were winning for the majority of the game, and then they mm. went and scored a couple in in quick succession, and Viggs gets sent off harshly at the end, and oh, yeah. then Maguire does his lap of honor. Nathan Thompson doesn't <laughs> doesn't like that, and it it was yeah. it was absolute chaos at the end. A bit exciting, but uh, yeah. but chaos. But they got us at our, at our weakest when when we did so poorly that year. And is it frustrating as somebody who spends most of that season on the bench? Is it is it frustrating just sitting there helpless to be able to do anything? Yeah, to an extent. Um, it is a team game at the end of the day. And my job being on the bench is to support Viggs and make sure he's ready to play, but also make sure I'm ready to play as well. But um, yeah, like there's, I, there's times where I'm on the bench and I'm like thinking, I just... I just want to get on there and do something. Do you know what I mean? Like, like you're itching to get on and just help the team in any way possible. So it, it can get frustrating, yeah. Yeah. A couple of questions from this season. Uh, Neil Dixon says, did you feel let down by your teammates' unprofessionalism that caused you to be thrust into the side at home to lead to Sheffield United, leading to that mistake, when, with all due respect, it probably called for a lot more experience on the night? So the context of it is we lost 4-2 against Sheffield United. Uh, something happened behind the scenes which meant that you were playing and then there was a high profile mistake from the playing from the back and they capitalized and made it, I think three, two maybe at that stage, yeah. but um, it, it wasn't a great moment. Was it? Um, were you a little let down by that? No, I don't, I don't really agree with that. I think as, as a team that year, I thought we were quite, we were all good together and we all had a good relationship. I don't think I was let down. I think probably the mistake came from lack of experience for me. Um, just because I'm 18, I've I've not played against a big team like Sheffield United, and in my head, it, just what happened was a was a clear mistake. It was an obvious mistake and didn't look good. But I'm, I was 18, I was inexperienced, and at that age, you're going to make mistakes playing at that level. So it's it's, it's going to happen. But if there was another experienced keeper at the time, they probably would have played them, and I wouldn't have held any grudges because I would have probably agreed, thinking, Christ, it's a big game, like that probably does need a lot of experience to play that game. But I wasn't thinking that at the time. That's just something I thought looking back on it. But at the time, I, I was obviously blooming with confidence because of the season I'd had and the games I had previous. And I was thinking, yeah, I am ready. But to think that and be realistic probably wasn't. And that's probably where I may have been beneficial that season to maybe have gone out on loan to a National League kind of side and played there to gain more experience to then come back, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I don't feel I was let down by my teammates because, again, before that game, it was the same thing because obviously I'm, I was very young, very supportive of me, were, were boosting my confidence more and they were helping me to try and play the best I could. So I, I don't really feel I was let down by my teammates there now. No, what do you think went wrong that season? Um, it's, it's a hard one. I think... There was a few games where we played really well. We just, things just didn't go our way. There were probably times behind the doors, behind closed doors, where maybe teammates fell out or other stuff like that happened. And I think that just didn't breed a good atmosphere around the club that season, which probably was the uh, the downfall of our season. But um, no, I, I think there were probably its problems, but we were a good team. I still believe that team was a very good team. There was just some aspects to it that probably could have been better. 
Fair enough. Okay, the next question from Rich B starts quite harshly, but trust me, it has reason behind it. So Rich B asks, has your shooting improved at all? Walsall away a few seasons ago, I was behind the goal. Will fired a shot in the warm-up. I wasn't looking and it whacked me right on the forehead, causing a big ooh from the crowd. He was dizzy for the rest of the day. Maybe he's never recovered. We'll never know. Um, Has your shooting improved? Um, I'd like to think so, yeah. And I'll start off by apologising completely because I I can't remember this, but um, I've I've booted more than one ball into the stand. I I can say that. (laughs) But I I do think my shooting has improved, yeah. Your season ends again with an appearance in that in that game against Charlton where we're already gone um, we play I would say a weakened team that day and we get sort of brushed aside obviously by Charlton mm. and that is your last league game for Swindon yeah. as it turns out which you know that's April 2017 but we're not going to dwell on that because in season three there is there is one of the biggest moments of your career and that is your call up to the England under 20 squad Okay, you yeah. don't get a cap or anything, but when you look at the players that you're up alongside and where they've come from, and you know you're alone at this point as well, it must be a huge source of pride in that. Oh, a hundred percent. That's probably what. That's definitely up there. One of the highest highs of my career so far. Um, I remember. Uh, I think it was after. I think before that summer, I'd done a few like England goalkeeper camps, and that that summer was the first squad call up. Um, and then obviously I went up to the twenties and the following season. Um, but that was crazy, surreal really, because that summer was the under 19 euros and I was basically third choice for that squad that won it that year. So it was to just be a part of it was mental. Obviously I didn't go to the tournament cause they just took two keepers. Um, but I did all the, we did a training camp in Spain, which was, I think we were there for a week which we which I did which was amazing and then we did a few to like two or three training camps at St George's Park before they flew out so it was surreal and then to get called up again uh in October of that year for the 20s it was again just a great moment for me yeah and tell me you get to keep the gear oh yeah don't worry it's it's, it's, it's all safe in one of my drawers somewhere all folded up nicely lovely stuff and and on a serious point three goalkeepers there's a lot of under 20 goalkeepers in, in football and you yeah. are one of those three. So no one can take that. Oh, to put it that way as well is crazy. Think of all the clubs, all the academies that have got under 20 keepers. And I was basically in the top three that year was, was mental because obviously I think the other two was Aaron Ramsdale and Nathan Trott. Obviously Ramos is playing for Bournemouth in the Prem. Uh, Trott has been on loan at um, Wimbledon from yeah. West Ham. So they've, they've, flown really since then yeah and, and your generation of of uh, your generation in the game they're moving away overseas a lot more now and looking at the list you've got chris willock who's a benfica now and there's yeah. a couple guys that have moved out there um overseas since then ronaldo Vieira is at sampdoria isn't he it's yeah it, it, you're playing alongside these guys on merit it's, it's wonderful to see but you know season four for you and maybe season three and four for you are all about loan spells. Here's a question for you. Can you name all of your loan clubs? I can. I think the first one I had was Dunstable Town. I was there for a month before I got called back. 
Then I went to Hampton and Richmond, the Conference South. I signed there in Feb for the rest of that season, but got called back, called back early because uh, Reese Charles Cook got an injury. Um, after that, the following season was Chippenham Town for a month. Wanted to get it extended till Jan, but it never did due to other reasons. Then I went to Swindon Supermarine, which was November to Feb, which was probably one of my best loan spells because I was there for obviously a long period and that was a great club and I got loads of games that season. And then after that, I went to Gloucester for the remainder of that season. Uh, well, that got cut short because uh, I had to get called back again. Um, and then this, that was last season on it. So this season I've been to... Uh, who do I go to for? I went to Chippenham again for a month, oh, just under a month, just to cover three games because their keeper got suspended. Then I went to Gloucester. Uh, was there for a month, change of manager, so my loan never got extended. Then I went to Hereford. Um, that was kind of dipping in and out, covering their keeper because I think he was injured at the time. So I played. Um, what did I do? I played two games to cover. Then I missed the week because he was back, and then I came back the week after because he was injured again and then I kept my place for another two two games and then just because of money reasons they couldn't keep me on um, and then I went to Hungerford for two games before obviously the COVID-19 uh, crisis Lovely so stuff. a lot of loans yeah a lot of stuff now the internet tells me there was one before Dunstable oh Shrivenham that was when I was a scholar yeah but that was yeah. senior football though wasn't it yeah that was yeah lovely look at that well done yeah I mean yeah. Jack Tanner has a question which links up to the loans. How frustrating was it uh, having to be recalled from your loan spells at Chippenham because Lawrence Vigarou had been named in the Chile squad? And we can expand that to all the others where things have happened as well because it is detriment to your development getting those minutes. I know you're training with Swindon every day because you're a pro footballer, but you want 90 minutes, don't you? And every now and again, you go on, you're playing well, especially yeah. at... Dunstable because they're firing you know they're not doing too yeah. well so you're getting nothing nah. but practice um yeah. is it frustrating for you were there times where you're like do I have to yeah I mean uh the, the one with Chippenham where Viggs was getting called up to Chile that obviously wasn't for me that wasn't a problem but obviously I was gutted because I had to get called back but that was for a, le- a legit reason because Viggs was getting called up to the national squad um but even even saying that there was plan because I think I would have only missed one game for Chippenham they were going to get a keeper in just to cover that game mm. um, but then it all fell through because of financial reasons I never got to extend that loan um, but obviously there was probably oh, how many loans like three or four loans that got cut short because of other circumstances that weren't necessarily professional shall I say <laughs> um Everyone's but, everyone's saying, was, ask him, ask him what's happened, ask him what's happened, but you're not going to say anything, are you? No, I think it's probably best if I keep my mouth shut. <laughs> you can tell me off mic afterwards, please. Um, <laughs> okay, fair enough. So um, Adam Cowley has a question. He says, I'd like to know how he and other youth players feel about their loan moves to semi-pro teams. And with all of the goalkeeper signings we've made while you've been at the club, do you feel or find it frustrating regarding your pathway to the first team? Talking about the first bit with loans to semi-professional teams, I think every youth player that I've spoke to, they've all enjoyed it because it's their chance to go out and play. I mean, you look at uh, Youngie's gone out, Twiney's gone out, uh, all the other lads that have come through as well, and they've all enjoyed that because they're getting games. Obviously, the main target is to get into the first team, but if they see there's no path at the time, 
then there's no point sitting around, sitting in the stand watching every game. You might as well be out playing and getting experience and getting minutes. So I don't think any player that I've, any youth player that I've spoke to has said, oh, no, I don't really want to go out alone. Do you know what I mean? So I think they've always been positive about going to a, a Chippenham or a team like that to go and get games. Um, on the second part of that question, I think, actually, what, what, can you repeat that second part for me? With the amount of goalkeepers people like David Flitcroft was bringing in, did you find yeah. it frustrating that the pathway was becoming trickier? Uh, yeah, I think the, the, the trickiest thing for me was because the amount of managerial changes we had, they probably didn't have as much trust in me as, say, Luke Williams did because of their philosophy and the way they worked. I know Flickhoff was very much uh, more going for the experienced players. You look at the signings he's made, they're all very experienced. Um, so there wasn't really a pathway for me with Flickhoff there. Um, Phil Brown came in, I think, again, he, was, he, he liked playing youth players. He showed that on the last game of the season. But I think for me, again, it was trusting a keeper at my age to play. Um, and I think that's the issue with the amount of managers we've had that have changed. They've not seen my pathway. They've probably heard about it. They've just not been able to trust me because of my age. Mm. Um, and I think that, that that has been quite hard to take. But I understand that because it's their job on the line at the end of the day. And are they, they've got to have complete and utter trust in me to be able to put an 18, 19-year-old, 20-year-old in the squad. Um, I, I felt I'm good enough. And I always worked hard and kept my head down to try and get that chance. And just unfortunately, over the last few years, it never came. So um, it was getting at the same time, but everything happens for a reason. Yeah, that's really interesting because I think the one thing that separates you from a couple of the others, maybe not um, Jordan Young, is that there was a lot of hype and excitement for you from even like Lee Power level where he was saying this guy is staying and he's got a future. You know, that that was always the sort of thing that, that we were being told and don't doubt yeah. that it wasn't true. Um, but it wasn't replicated by the manager's post Luke Williams, was it? No. I think with, with football, you can plan a long-term plan, but football changes every week, plans change every week, and that's just the nature of the game, unfortunately. And the way... The, the latter part of my time at Swindon went just probably didn't go to plan in the way I wanted it to, to but I look at it on the flip side I had several loan periods where I've gone out and got more experience at different levels of football I've got a lot of different references from other clubs because every loan I've gone to they've all been all been pretty buzzing with me so the, you look on the flip side there's a lot of positives to it um, it's just unfortunate that my time at Swindon has come to an end but I am looking forward to the next challenge and believe probably my time is to move on now. Yeah, i got to be honest. I was surprised last year that they'd offered you a deal because Archie got a deal as well. Uh, Luke was being kept on and they were bringing in another goalkeeper, which became Stephen Bender. Um, and it was it was a new deal with an option too. Yeah. So, I mean, were you surprised that you got the extension? Um, to, to be honest, I wasn't though because I think... It, the time uh, Steve Milner, the goalie coach now, he obviously his plan was to have four keepers. But I think when the end of last season happened, obviously uh, Maka was signing on for another year. Archie had been given a pro, um, and obviously I did. It. I got offered another contract as well. And I think at the at that time, I think the plan was Mildy was 
pushing for me to be number two, or I think the manager's plan was for me to be number two and Maka number one. Mm. Um, but again, football changes. It got to pre-season. I think the plan was still the same. And then as pre-season went on, we had a number of keepers coming in on trial because then the plan changed that he wanted someone else as number two or someone to push Maka, um, which meant I went down the loan route again. Um, again, it gets frustrating, but I, I've known football well enough that it changes every week and nothing's nothing's guaranteed to you. So you've, you've got to prepare for all aspects. Yeah, so just in a matter of months, everything can change, can't it? Yeah. Goalkeeper coach-wise, you worked with Steve Hale, Dean Thornton and Steve Mildenhall during your time in the club. So I imagine all of them you learnt certain bits and pieces from. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, obviously, every goalkeeper coach is different. Steve was Steve Hale was um, very much... Uh, kind of technical and very detailed in his work like when I said about uh, obviously the the detail he puts into penalties and set pieces and all that and um, Dino was probably more probably how do I put this so he was younger he was a young goalie coach just come from an academy so this was his first kind of experiences uh, in first team football as a goalie coach I know he'd worked with the QPR goalie coach at the time but this was his first role as the first team goalkeeper coach but I love working with Dino. He's, he's a top bloke and he, he got the best out of me as well. Moving on from that season, I mean, my debut, obviously, the season we went down from League One, uh, he was our he was our coach and he got the best out of me, got the best out of Viggs when he could. And I'm, I'm grateful for his work because then he left, was it? No, then he was there the next season as well and he helped me through um, getting loans and he sorted me out with a few loans and that. And he got the best out of me in training um, and then obviously left in the start of pre-season the following season when Mildy came in and he's Mildy's been top class with me as well since he's come in he's he's always been a friend to me he's always been supportive he's always got me to loans when I've needed to go out on loan he's and I've always enjoyed training with him his sessions are brilliant as well so um all three goalkeeper coaches have been brilliant at my time well we're getting to the stage now where of course we found out over the last week or so that you are being released or have been released, but it was said that you've known that for a while. Is that true? Yeah, I got a, a Mildy rang me about mid-April time just to let me know. Um, he said, to be fair to him, he wanted to get a, an answer for me as soon as possible, um, which he did. So I've, I've had about a month and a half, two months to sit on it. And you have been very active training-wise. I mean, I've seen videos that you've uploaded. I think you've been working alongside former town player Tom Smith in bits and pieces as well. Is that right? Yeah, that's true. We're doing, we try and do a session every Tuesday um, when we can. Um, obviously, me and me and Smudge are good mates. We've gotten really well at Swindon and um, both played together in the first team and we've kept a good friendship ever since. And obviously, we're both, well, I'm still in Swindon at the minute and obviously he's local local Swindon lad. So we've been hooking up and doing some, some football sessions and keeping ourselves ticking over whilst this is all going on. All within the government restrictions, of course. All within the government restrictions, yes. <laughs> uh, and what season Tom's had at Bath City as well, it must be said. Absolutely phenomenal. So this is probably the toughest time to be in the situation that you're in. Are there options ready to go or are you amongst the hundreds, probably thousands of players right now who are just like, what next? Uh, a bit of both. I've had... I've had two teams from the Conference South who managers I both know have rung me up and said, look, we want to sign you as soon as we as soon as soon we can when we know what 
the season's doing and that and which I'm grateful to have that on the back burner as a as an option but EFL wise obviously I think the target for me is personally is to look at kind of league two as a number two or national league playing but again that's perfect scenario that might change but I've been speaking to my agent regularly and there's no movement EFL at the minute because there's so much uncertainty with when next season's going to start, if the season's going to resume, which it looks like it will be doing. Um, so I don't think any teams re- realistically will be looking to probably act on signings until this season's finished and there's a start date for next pre-season because obviously there's always that space in between pre- uh, the season and in the pre-seasons when teams start bringing in players, letting players go kind of thing. So I'm hoping kind of July time there might be a bit more clarity with when next season is going to start and then we can start getting the uh, the ball rolling then. This summer you only turned 22, which considering yeah. how long you've been in the first team picture at Swindon <laughs> for is remarkable. I mean, are things like overseas or education, like college in the USA, things like that, are they on your radar or is it just football league or, or what you can get? I think, to be fair, I have had stuff like that on the back of my mind, but I think realistically with what's gone on with the uh, pandemic and that I think realistically we're looking at somewhere this country and probably League 2 or National League kind of area obviously if it's any higher it's better obviously but um, I want to make sure it's it's the right move for me I don't want to be just going somewhere for for the sake of it I want to be going somewhere where I'm actually going to get a chance get a chance to progress my career and push on Hello I'm Anthony Grant and you're listening to the Loathed Strangers podcast Okay, well, let's end with some questions. Um, Kieran Hart asks, who's the best goalkeeper you've ever had the pleasure of training with, either at Swindon, England camp, or he says literally anywhere, to be fair? The the best keeper I've probably trained with is Frank Fielding when I was at Bristol City, when oh, um, I used to train with the first team. Oh, uh, he is an absolute top professional. <laughs> and when I, when I was there, he completely supportive of me as a young kid obviously can be ruthless as well like he'll push you but that's, that's what you need um but he he's, he's a top keeper he's had a very good career and he, he was very supportive of me even when i got um released from city he he's gave me his number and he's been completely supportive since i mean it's a great answer but you know we didn't have to bring it back to them at the end <laughs> did we god dearie me okay fair enough ben sharp asks uh what's the biggest lesson you've learned while at swindon Probably an obvious one is affect what you can affect. I know in the goalkeeping world that gets thrown around a lot, but it's it's completely true. My time at Swindon has proved a lot has gone on that's affected my position that I can't affect. So it's it's being able to deal with that and just working hard and getting down, getting your head down and working and having a good attitude. So that's that's definitely the biggest lesson. Yep. And there's a question here: Do you have any regrets? No. I think if I could do it all again, I would. Massive believer in everything happens for a reason. Ideal world, I made my debut next season, I'm number one. But again, that's not realistic. So I I don't think I would have changed my journey at all. Lovely. Standard question now. What's your favourite cheese? Favourite cheese? Go cheddar. It's my local cheese. There's nothing wrong with it. Everyone is always so, like, defensive of cheddar. Like, it's some sort of blasphemy. But it's bloody (laughs) lovely. Um, And final question is... What is your all-time Swindon five-a-side team? My all-time Swindon five-a-side team? You've got to pick your friends effectively. Oh, I don't know what to think. <laughs> Goalkeeper-wise, I'm going to start with this. I'm going to put Viggs as midfield because I know five-a-side, he's obviously he's very good with his feet. 
I know this is sound really strange, but I'd put Figs in the midfield. Goalkeeper wise, I'd probably put I'd probably put Connor Johns in because he was very good one one on one. If I remember, he was very good one on one. Five sides, that's two, three defenders. I'd probably go with Nathan Thompson and probably Luke Wolfenden. A because I live with him. B he's he's, he's a top centre back as well. Uh, how many is that? That's four, isn't it? Striker wise, it's got to be Owen Doyle, hasn't it? It's got to be, hasn't it? Well, there we go. And man, my goodness, he has had five-a-side-like form this season, hasn't (laughs) he? Well, well, there we have it. That's it. It's all done. And I've got to say, I thoroughly enjoyed that. And it would have been been easier for you to say, do you know what? I've just been released. I don't really fancy this. But you've come on here and you've been honest and we've learned a lot. Well, I've learned a lot and I thank you for it. And I really sincerely wish you all the best. And thank you for your efforts at Swindon Town over the last few years. It's, it's been great to have you around and thank you very much. No, not a problem. I've enjoyed it. The Low Strangers is proudly sponsored by the official STFC Supporters Club. The music was created by the great Matthew Kilford and the artwork was provided expertly by John Daglish. Thanks for listening. Come on, Hi, Ellis Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs, like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy, or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant, like Darren Ward, or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.